You're listening to The Grind, well-caffeinated conversations with disc golfers who are passionate about improving their games and helping others to do the same. Welcome to episode 31 of The Grind, a disc golf podcast. I'm Josiah, with me, my good buddy David and Aaron Gossage. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, we appreciate you coming on right after Worlds. Uh, we're pumped to get into it. We uh, were talking on our the second cup, which is our Patreon pot bonus podcast, um, just about how much fun it was to watch you, um, just a local out there, uh, and and a totally unexpected challenger just slaying it. Like I don't know what the odds were, but uh, I wish I would have put hundred bucks down because I think I would have. <laughs> I think I would have been able to pay for a few frisbees, maybe even a disc golf trip or two. Yeah, just a little, a little fun. But uh, we've got a fun show lined up for you today. We are going to talk to Aaron about his game plan for Worlds, how he came up with that, how that helped him separate. We are going to get a little highlight, a little spotlight, a little review of the Upper Park Rebel, which we've been checking out for the last month or so now. And we are going to review the Discraft Nuke. But first, as always, and David, we'll start with you. What are you sipping on, and how was your disc golf week? Oh, man, we're sipping on some water tonight. Good old Grand Junction tap water. Um, tastes about like uh, water from the faucet. Tasting good. Um, disc golf week was... Dude, I, I think we had to go a little bit further into this water we're having. Man, I if I tried to get into some tasting notes, I think I'd just start laughing at myself. <laughs> I was telling I was telling uh, Josiah and Aaron before the podcast that there's actually uh, water sommeliers out there. I I think they're called sommeliers as well, but uh, it's just a bizarre concept to me that that's actually a thing. I mean, but, I think that the when I, I have like good water that I can't taste <laughs> and bad water that I can taste, and that's about it for me. Yeah. yeah. Aaron, how do you like your water? You like iced, warm, <laughs> room temperature? <laughs> Uh, yeah, when it's hot outside, I definitely like it iced. But yeah, like you said, um, Colorado water just tastes like nothing. And then uh, you go across the country and you, you taste some bad water for sure. So yeah, good water just uh, tastes like Grand Junction tap water. Dude, it's San Diego water, some of the nastiest water I've ever had. Anytime you're by the beach, <laughs> yeah, you're going to get terrible, terrible. water. Terrible. Uh, this is the latest we've ever recorded. So Aaron, and I know you're in a different time zone, so I really appreciate you staying up to uh, to hang out with us. Disc golf week, David. Tell me about it. Disc golf, dude. I kicked Josiah's butt at Westlake. It was fantastic. Yeah. I got eighteen for eighteen. I don't remember what you got. Uh, it was not eighteen. For not 18. not as good as me. <laughs> um, Westlake is like the easiest putter course you can imagine. Yeah. But it's got it's got some like elevation change and some hills and stuff. It's hard to get them all. I've been working on Annie Berg shots. And so most of my shots at Westlake right now are Annie Berg shots, and they're so much fun to throw. And so that's basically what I'm throwing on on all the shots. And it's I feel like that's that's a skill that I really want to incorporate into my game. So I was really proud to get all 18 with it. Um, other than that, Josiah actually played saltwash before playing. Um, usually I'm a little bit uh, a little bit better at saltwash, but <laughs> you're usually a I, lot better. I at shot saltwash. I shot par, I shot par on every hole. I didn't get no, no, I no. didn't get a bogey. I didn't, oh wait, no, no hole nine hole you nine. Should. I got a birdie. I did a I did a little flick with a, a nuke with a little bit lower speed, and it acted fairly similar to my flat top firebird. With I mean flat top firebird, I'm throwing a little bit uh, higher, trying to get a little bit more spin and speed on it, but 
I just took some speed off of it and it uh, had a similar reaction to what my flat top firebird would do. So I got one birdie today. I, <laughs> I did not get 18 down through 18 at Westlake two <laughs> rounds of nine. I think I probably got like 12 or 15 or something. Uh, but yeah, I had a good, a good week besides David beating me at Westlake, uh, played Palisade, started out really rough, but made some birdies, finished negative two, which I was pretty happy about. Nice. And yeah, it was fairly, it was a little windy for the fall, not like windy for the spring, but windy for the fall. So I was pretty happy about that. Played with my brother, which I haven't, he hasn't played with me in a while. I don't think he plays much disc golf anymore. He's too busy with his job. So that was fun. Yeah. And, and salt wash was fun. I got better than negative one, but I didn't play that well. David is usually, David lives like right by salt wash. So he's usually like negative seven, negative six, it, negative five. And negative one was pretty surprising. Still, still in UDIS, negative seven is the highest one. And I've got it twice. There's like six people. I don't know if you're, I don't know if, did you play salt wash much at all, Aaron? Um, you, I haven't played saltwash much at all. Okay. Um, it's one of my earliest, uh, courses I remember playing when I was a kid, Okay, but I haven't put too many rounds in there and yeah. there, there are a few tough holes. So I, I don't yeah. think I've ever shot better than five or six in a, in a round of nine. Huh. Okay. When you're in town, we should play saltwash because I think that will give David a distinct advantage. <laughs> oh, it's and, right behind my house. <laughs> and I, you uh, know, David, yeah. David already imagines a world in which he's better than Paul Macbeth. By playing the six degrees of separation. Yeah, so if you let me beat you, Aaron, then I'd feel really good about <laughs> myself. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, I've never shot 18 on two rounds of nine at Westlake. I think I've done a perfect nine before, but I've never done two in a row. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, so hey. there you go. So I basically beat Paul McBeth is what you're saying. What? Aaron, <laughs> basically. you don't know what you just unleashed. But how, was, how was your disc golf week? Pretty similar, right? I mean, just a few casual rounds. Hey. Yeah, yeah, just kind of casual, but uh, yeah, no, it was one of the, one of the best weekends I've ever played. Probably the best weekend I've ever played. Just super consistent golf, and uh, found myself in a place that I never expected to be in, and that's uh, pushing, you know, six-time world champion to a playoff. So, um, just thankful for the opportunity to be there, and uh, like I said, consistent golf. Everything kind of came together for one weekend. It was an awesome experience. You almost kept them to five-time world champion. That would have been uh, <laughs> kind of awkward at the Discraft team meetings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, potentially, I suppose. <laughs> I have a question for you. And you were you on the tour team at the beginning of the year, or were you on Underground or something like that for Discraft? Um, I've always been on the tour team for Discraft. Um, they they picked me up, yeah, after OTB last year and got me right on the tour team. Okay. And then I, I got a pretty decent contract um, the end of last year, but yeah, still at that tour team level, um, just because yeah, only eight guys make it up on the elite team. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's cool. I just uh, I didn't remember seeing you on the website when I was looking, so I wasn't sure. You you are on the website now with no picture and <laughs> no in the bag, so Discraft needs to get on it. Yeah, my mom always complains about that when she gets on <laughs> that's there. That's awesome. But, um, <laughs> I have a feeling that it's probably my fault for not uploading a picture there, um, but I don't know for sure. And then I did get an in the bag film this year. Um, we just need to get that out and uh, upload it onto the website. Nice. Now, let's just blend Discraft since you're, I, you're on the podcast. I'm sure your mom would send in a photo for you, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she would. Maybe not your favorite one, but. <laughs> I was going to ask you about, and I think it was just, it was fun to watch. And I think it was, you know, the commentators mentioned it for, on every coverage that I saw, but um, 
it was fun to watch your game plan and just how that sets you apart. And I was curious um, how you formulated that game plan and you know how that was involved, if that was DDO or whatever else. And um, you know how you, what advantages do you think that gave you? So um, biggest thing going into this tournament is I knew that the holes were going to be pretty like simple and straightforward. And um, so for me, I needed to cut down all my shots to like the simplest, straightforwardest way to get there. And uh, the, what I did is um, I, I have a big forehand hyzer and a big backhand hyzer. And the, the fewer turns I have, the better. So just throwing as many highs as I possibly can is what's going to get me there. And so um, there are a bunch of holes that I broke down into very like basic shots that were, that were easy to execute. And so um, I can kind of guide you through it on a couple of these. But like yeah. hole one at Country Club is a great example of just like um, one very simple hole. Um, I guess I never quite executed that final shot to get the birdie. Uh, and I missed a few putts because I was nervous. But um, it's a good example where a um, bunch of things I factor in with um, what shot I want to throw. So just kind of go through a few of them. Um, so one of them, especially in hole one is like the hill shape. So, um, where your disc is landing, um, just what, what reaction do you have off of the ground? And so on hole one off the tee, um, you kind of have like a right to left sloping hill. So if you throw a backhand, it's likely to like skip like a long ways down that hill towards the out of bounds versus a forehand, um, is likely to hit that hill and just kind of settle and stop. Is that why most of the guys um, push that right hand side with the backhand is to, make sure they don't end up going left OB. Exactly. And yeah. a lot of people threw that hyzer kind of over the tree and over the road oh, just to make that happen hyzer, as well. Yeah. Yep. So um, another thing I think about is airspace. So again, hole one's a great example of this where um, off to the left, there's nothing in your way. So you can swing your hyzer as wide as you want to go. And you know, you've got nothing in your way versus on the right side, you have those trees and those bushes. So you have to decide whether you're going to throw over the top of them or you're going to throw kind of like a flex line inside of them if you're throwing backhand. Um, Another factor um, to think about is going to be the wind. Um, I definitely, when there's a lot of wind, I like to play whatever shot fades into the wind. Mm -hmm. Because when you have um, a shot fading into the wind, it becomes far more predictable. It doesn't go very far and it just kind of drops as soon as that happens. Versus you have a shot with the wind, um, it can carry for like a, a huge distance and it, it's hard to gauge exactly how far that will go. Um, and then a couple other things to think about. Um, one is just the out of bounds. Hole one's not a great example of this, but hole two is. Um, I'd rather have a shot that's fading towards inbounds than, um, you know, fading towards the mm-hmm. out of bounds. Unless it's a huge like carry over the out of bounds and you want to because sometimes you'd rather get a little bit of distance. And even if you go out of bounds, right. you've got all of your distance. Right. So there's a few different ways of thinking about that for sure. But um, overall, I was just trying to think about the shot that, that fit, fit um, the hole the best. And for me, you don't need that much distance on hole one. So um, forehand off the tee was an easy decision for me. Um, the backhand's not that difficult of a shot, but it just uh, reduces the variables a little bit. Yeah, and um, that seemed to be like hole. a theme a theme of the par fours and especially the fives is that you would take you would take a shot whether that would, you know, you might be 200 feet, 150 feet behind some of your competitors. Like I remember um, when you had Eagle on the card and he threw this crazy Heiser flip up cloud breaker shot 
that just bombed, but then leaked to a B left, and you threw a zone off the tee. I can't remember which hole that was, um, but it's just kind of so, interesting to watch. That was the other hole I was going to talk about. Um, that's hole uh, uh, eight, yep. the second part five at Country Club, and um, that hole is less than a thousand feet. It's a par five, so again, you have to figure out where you want to bite off that distance. And I told myself that the key for me on that hole was to not go out of bounds versus Eagle was telling himself that I can go out of bounds. I just need to get all of my distance. Mm -hmm. So for me, I went zone off the tee because it's the shot that doesn't, you know, goes about 250 to 300, but it's going to stay right in the middle of the fairway. Um, after that, I throw my distance shots on the safest part of the hole because I get to throw my, my standard stock pushing hyzer forehand. So I'm throwing like 450, 460, uh, forehand to get into another landing zone. And then I'm trying to bite off all that distance so that my last shot is my shortest shot because that's the one you need to get close to the basket. And, so, and for uh, our listeners for me, who haven't caught episode 21, which was the last time Aaron was on the podcast, uh, Aaron went into detail about how he's built his forehand and the angles and that sort of thing. But 450, 460 feet on Heiser and the forehand is just ridiculous it's just wild <laughs> it's so cool <laughs> anyway sorry i didn't mean to interrupt <laughs> yeah no worries um yeah just going back to my original game plan um what this allows me to do is i throw three hyzers i throw a little small backhand hyzer put it right in the middle of the fairway which just like leads to that forehand hyzer and then the last one i can throw a forehand or a backhand hyzer upshot up to the basket um, and it's, it's a huge difference because a lot of players were throwing kind of a turnover on that second shot where mm -hmm. they, like you're saying, they threw the big cloud breaker shot off the tee. So just eliminating all of those, you know, tough shots, you know, all those players, all these players are able to execute these shots. It's just, they're a little bit more challenging than some of the shots I was trying to execute. That was my goal is just to keep everything, the simplest, easiest shot to execute all tournament long. And do you feel the temptation to, like, when you could, you know, theoretically get an eagle, like if you said, "Hey, it's a it's a thousand foot hole. I can throw five hundred twice or four eighty twice, and give myself a you know a, a forty footer in this case a thirty four footer." Do you do you feel that temptation to just launch one? Um, when you're setting up your game plan or in, in competition, or is that actually, is it more fun to you to play that meticulous game? Um, I have found that I get sucked into that very easily of throwing those big shots because I, I enjoy it. And I found that I play better if I just stick with my conservative game plan. Um, and one of the big uh, things that helped me with this tournament was playing DDO in the craziest wind I've ever played in. And there's, there were no options to, to go for any Eagles, to go for any hero shots. You were, you were doing whatever you could to survive. And it, it really just, it made you play as basic golf as you possibly could just to get your pars on some of these holes. And I think that that was really beneficial for me um, going into this week. Cause I had that very basic, like you only have to do very simple things, you know, to get your birdies. And if you don't bogey, you're going to do well. Well, you did a very good job of not bogeying. Uh, you had two bogeys, both of them on hole one at Jones, which is kind of a gimmicky hole. And uh, then the rest of the tournament, I'm not very good at math, but what would that be? Uh, 18 times five, so 88 other holes you uh, parred or birdied. That's uh, that's pretty incredible. That's like 
that's not just coming up with the right game plan, but it's also sticking to it regardless of how you feel and then executing. So, I mean, props to you. That's uh, it's pretty incredible, especially, I mean, obviously it is just pretty straightforward course, but uh, the next best OB rate was five and that was Macbeth. So uh, pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah. And uh, looking back on it, I think I would have laid up hole one if, um, if I could do it all over again. One of the reasons I didn't lay up hole one was because the the layup is not given. Right. Um, so I was I was like, hey, if I if I lay it up twice and I miss it once, that's the same as bogeying it twice. Mm-hmm. And you take. So the I was kind of in that mindset of, yep. And right, exactly. If I birdie it once, then going for it is obviously worth it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's two simple shots. I should have just practiced it a little bit more, um, executed it. Um, I was very confident with the wind I had in practice. Um, and then we had a slightly different wind during the the play and I wasn't quite able to adapt to that. Mm-hmm. So I wish I had just uh, practiced the layup a little bit more. So when I had that little bit of funky wind, been like, okay, easy decision, lay up that shot. Yeah. Pretty, pretty tough starting hole was, did, uh, was Jones was round, uh, one and three or is that right? Exactly. Yeah. One and three for me. Yeah. So right for the A pool. So pretty weird, uh, hole to start worlds on like, uh, like tiny Island with really like the smallest backstop and then a pretty big barrier to entry on the front with the, the pavers up front. That's, uh, it's quite the way to have to start a tournament. And then if you miss it, that's a tough putt both to make, but also to make sure you don't launch it and end up with two OB strokes. Yeah, I told myself that if I missed the island, I was just going to take a bogey. Um, yeah. I didn't run the putt either round. I just laid it up to five feet, tapped in my bogey. No reason to take a extra big number on hole one. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you, you and Tristan Tanner both uh, played so well. And I think um, certainly uh, within your capabilities, but above the, the expectations, of course, of um, people who don't know you guys as well or haven't watched you play. Do you think that playing in Colorado uh, gives you some advantage on a course like that or on a, in a tournament like that? Or do you think it's just like, hey, you guys are good players and you, uh, you just uh, it worked out that weekend? That's a good question. Um, Tristan Tanner is kind of an anomaly as far as disc golfers in Colorado go because he played like one year, like one full year right. <laughs> of just like learning how to play. And then he went right on tour. So um, yeah, if only to a the lot rest of us, of us could do that. <laughs> yeah, I that's know. pretty wild. I did not know to... that's his story. That's crazy. Oh yeah, he he was playing outrageously good golf like one year after beginning like starting out. And you compare that to me and Colton and Eagle, who've played for years and years and years in Colorado. It's a little bit different. That being said, I think Tristan was the only player besides me. And Paul Macbeth there at the end that had the game plan they needed for this course. And you could see that we just went out there and we executed easy shots and um, got the birdies when they were there. And because both of us were putting well, I really had our putting stroke dialed. That's what got us to the top. But do you think there's also a certain degree to which both you guys, I think, both you and Tristan and Paul to a lesser degree, um, but I think lesser degree is probably the wrong way to put it, but you all three, you guys have extreme confidence in both your backhand and your forehand. You have that balance, so you can throw hyzer 
backhand and forehand and get the distance you need. And I feel like while a lot of people have both skills, I don't think that there's many people who have power hyzer for both. I mean, Eagle before his injury certainly did um, to an extreme degree. But do you think that factors into it as well as you're just comfortable with the fact that you can, you're going to throw those shots or you think it's primarily just a game plan thing? Yeah, no, I think that that's why I'm able to come up with that game plan mm-hmm. is because I am so confident in that shot. That's the best shot in my whole game. But um, I think that there's a bunch of other players that have those shots that also struggle with injuries too. Mm. So playing five straight days of forehand hyzers is just going to, to put too much strain on their arm. I don't know. Um, it just seems like a very basic game plan. But like you said, there's only a few people that really have the capability to like execute that for, for five straight days. And it's just a little surprising to me. I feel like there's a few players like Ricky, like A.B., that if they put a little bit more trust in their forehand, they have the the ability to execute those shots. Yeah, well, I think there's it's just interesting. You know, you're a, a second year touring pro. Tristan, I think it's his third year, but he's only been playing disc golf for a handful of years. You know, and you guys picked the game plan. And I wonder if it's just part of it is just the matter matter of this this game plan in some ways may may change some of the culture of disc golf when it comes to these more straightforward courses now you know play you play the fort at ogden uh you play uh um you know when you're about to play brewster ridge well you can't quite maybe make a hyzer fit every fit every hole but it just seems to me like i mean even Macbeth, you know like you were saying he converted to your game plan uh and that says a lot, you know, <laughs> I mean, it says a lot. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, it doesn't, doesn't work on every course, but um, I mean, another example of this, if you look at it was before Eagle, you know, hurt his arm, he was best player in the world because he had massive distance forehand and backhand and would throw a hyzer on every single shot. It's a, it's a really straightforward game plan and it, it gets you good results. It's just so, re- it's the most repeatable shot in disc golf. I mean, you feel like you don't even have to think because, I mean, you can use a overstable disc and it's going to stay on that line and it's going to hit on that line. And I feel like as an amateur, that was the first time for me, like, I mean, I'm throwing hyzers 300, 300 to 350 feet, but it was the first time for me as an amateur feeling like, oh my gosh, like I feel like I can consistently get it around a hole um, or around the basket. Um, yeah, it's, it's just such a repeatable thing. And the moment that you expose any, like any other variable, um, especially as an amateur, uh, it's you, there's no telling what's going to happen, especially if there's wind involved. (laughs) Yeah. That single angle hyzer is annoyingly consistent because I don't like throwing it. And David, throws it really really well flat top fire yeah he's the, yeah we talked about this before he should be throwing a raptor we all know this right if you're if you're <laughs> yeah but definitely uh or captain's raptor if you want the flat top but uh but it is consistent and so david my my best score is sometimes going to be better than david's best score though apparently not at westlake um but uh, but David is going to consistently score better than me, except for now that he's messing with different angles and working on his game. But if he wanted to, if he wanted to have that consistent game, he's going to hyzer, put it to twenty five feet, make his putt, and move on. And uh, I think that that's just something that I think a lot of disc golfers 
because the disc is kind of it's kind of fun to watch the different angles fly i think we almost become addicted to that and we try to make that fit the hole rather than throwing the consistent shots yeah i would agree with that i think that is what is um, so nice about disc golf is watching those big s's those those are the fun shots to throw uh, that being said, I will say to any, um, you know, starting out player who's starting to get some distance, you know, you start out with 300 feet of distance, you know, you did a few things with your form. Now you're throwing 400 feet. If you just switch to throwing your same disc, your same driver and put it on a good bit of hyzer, throw in a nice stock shot, it will make your game so much more consistent. There's no reason you need to be throwing a putter as hard as you can to get 300 feet when a distance driver on a hyzer will do the same trick. It hurts my soul to hear you say that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. We could probably uh, get into our Apple Park Rebel uh, spotlight, and then I'll have a few more questions for you just about like your general experience about worlds. But let me grab, we got a dip bag right here. I think we got even the same colors that are, I don't know if they all are the same color. Are they the same color for that one? No, they have different. They have different colors. No, there's, there's a bunch of different colors. I think we have the same color, uh, right? Yeah, that's, that's the one I have. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, uh, we're. I reached out to Upper Park and was like, "Hey, can you just send us a bag to check out? We we kind of want to start doing some bag reviews, and we'll send it back to you." And they're like, "Don't send it back." And so it's very <laughs> kind of them. So uh, appreciate. Yeah, them. they're always cool with with that. Yeah, so uh, maybe, David, you want to talk about it, I'll talk about it, and then we'll let Aaron kind of yeah, give any other thoughts. For sure. Um, I, I use a grip bag, and um, when I first started off, I think my first bag I ever had was, dang, what was it, Dynamic, was it Dynamic Discs? Yeah, I like think so. base model? Yeah, That's just super, super one. flimsy with no nothing stable with it at all. Um, I love the feel of the upper park. It makes me feel kind of like a... Um, almost like a backpacking backpack, not as sturdy of a frame, I guess, but still has that kind of athletic feel to it. Um, the one thing what's interesting with, I have, I mean, for me comparing it to the grip the most and Josiah uses a pound bag. Um, the grip bag for me, what was interesting at the beginning, the, um, the grip bag has more of, I guess, like a hard form in the back, Mm -hmm. um, is the best way to describe it. And it... At first, it annoyed me, but I feel like after a while, I got to really appreciate it because it felt like this just, it just felt very stable. But it's, I, I grew to really love the stability of what it felt like. Um, and the upper park, I feel like, doesn't have that, but uh, it has just extremely well made. Zippers are fantastic. Pockets, I feel like the one thing that, annoys me about the grip sometimes is there's not like the little pockets for little things you want like um i don't have a great place that i love to put my mini in my grip for some reason it has the little pockets on the front but i put the flat behind the discs and then it gets awkward for me to get my mini um so i mean the best place to win a tournament i'm usually putting in my bag i think in upper park it has the little mini slots on the side here which is super convenient so then you don't have to have it in your back pocket oh that's where it goes yeah and you can also i mean you could slide your range finder in there or whatever it might be but i feel like it's a better design as far as pockets go and functionality goes um and it has a real athletic feel and so definitely really enjoyed it i think i've gotten so acquainted with the sturdiness for me of the grip that i've grown to appreciate it but 
Yeah, well, you just I, like overstable discs and really stable <laughs> bags. It's just like it's if a I theme. can say stable over and over and over again. But yeah, I love the make. I think it's a fantastic bag. Yeah, I I had always wanted to try one uh, just to kind of have something a little lighter. And the Rebel is really nice and light, which I think is the first thing I notice about it. It just it is. It feels like it feels sturdy, but but lightweight. And um, I totally agree with David on the organization. Just the number of pockets you have is super nice. I I really like the uh, double putter pockets or whatever else you want to call these front pockets because yes. I feel like it makes it really easy to see your most used discs and get to them. Um, the fact that it opens up fully in the front and then the the front uh, flap kind of tucks in was a little weird to me at first, but I think once you do it once, it's like feels good and normal uh yeah not a ton of structure the one thing i don't love about it is i don't love the hard bottom and i think this is just because the pound bag doesn't have that hard bottom so it's a lot less structured and so i have the opposite where i like under stable disc and i like unstructured bag somehow but yeah anyway it's good bag i think it holds uh, a lot of discs it's nice and lightweight it carries pretty well i don't love the hard bottom but overall i feel like it is um, very comfortable and I think especially the organization to me uh, definitely p- kicks it up a notch editor's note here Aaron was describing why he liked the Upper Park Rebel and we had a technical issue and that part got dropped from the recording so I just figured I'd summarize um, the main reasons that he enjoys the bag one is uh, the lightweight. He specifically mentioned that it's just a lot lighter than uh, the grip or the pound bags uh, for a similar capacity. He also mentioned the organization and the number of discs it can hold and just how I think he said he was getting 28 discs in the bag. Um, and he really liked the organization, uh, like we had mentioned. And the third thing was, and one thing that we, uh, with just having the bag for a little while, hadn't quite tested was the durability. He was really happy with how the bag had held up especially considering the number of rounds played living the life of a touring pro. So sorry you had to hear that from me instead of him, but we will get you back to the show. We'll have a few other bags we'll go through. We'll, we'll walk through the grip, the pound, um, probably a, a squatch bag as well, and, and we'll see from there. But um, appreciate that. If you guys want to support Aaron and want to get yourself a bag, um, go on to Upper Park and use the coupon code Aaron10 to get 10% off your order and that's just a way you can directly support him i know he's uh, gained a lot of fans um, beyond the valley um, and even in the valley probably uh, over the last uh, season especially the last week and uh, so support the man aaron 10 at overparkdiscgolf.com a couple other things i had for you for worlds aaron there was a group from grand junction that drove out uh, for the final round and i know you had a ton of support Uh, What was that like just having people? I think they drove out and drove back with the round in like 24 hours of driving in 36 hours or something like that. Uh, What was it like getting all that, all that local love and and love from across the country? I'm sure. Yeah. So I had a few friends that were there at the event with me that I was hanging out with um, doing, uh, you know, having a good time with. Um, But my whole like collegiate team that I played um, at CMU with and the guys that came after that, they all drove out to support me. I didn't, I didn't know they were there and I was, you know, sitting on the Island, you know, just like dwelling in, in self pity. 
and got off the island. I saw their faces and it was the first like happy moment I had like all day long. That's awesome. It it felt so good seeing them there. I got to hug them after the round. So it it was such a cool experience having them there. So thankful they did that. Um, It's just like way out of their way. They said they did 24 hours of driving in 36 hours which is just like, I, I don't know why anyone would do that. But, um, <laughs> that's that's super some thankful. serious love right there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was amazing for sure. That's awesome. Um, I You probably have talked about this quite a bit, actually. I know you have, but I just wanted to get, you are talking about, hey, that was the first happy moment during the day. What was that final round like? And what was going in your through your head uh, on 18 uh, and then and then on the playoff hole? So a bunch of different things going on there. Um, first one I want to talk about is it wasn't just that round. Um, I didn't sleep the night before. I just could not get this knot out of my chest. Oh man. Um, just this like nervousness of, Oh gosh, I'm in this position. And more than anything, it was the fact that I was leading the tournament. I had this, like, everyone's like, Oh dude, just keep it up and you'll be a world champion. And I'm like, I, I'd almost rather be fighting to get to that point rather than be trying to one, be one you know, stroke on back than three strokes up. Yeah, exactly. And that would just help me sleep a little better. Yeah, it makes sense. Let's put it that way. Um, so that whole first half of that rounds, um, just was struggling getting the putt in the baskets. Uh, definitely had the nerves going and a and little then, windier, like I said, once, a little windier that round as well. Right. The final round. Definitely. Um, I was struggling getting my upshots, uh, close to. I was playing them a little conservative and I needed to be putting them 10 feet. I was putting them at 25 and putting a lot of pressure on my putt. Yeah, it makes sense. Definitely a little more windy. So everything about it was just a little, little tougher. Um, got later in the rounds. And like I said, I started executing some shots. So we got to 18. Again, I had in my head, I'm like, this is do or die. You know, if he birdies, he wins. But, you know, all I can do is, is make him, you know, execute those shots. So, um, went to my, uh, my guns, my uh, nice, reliable shot, my forehand through the forehand up there, um, through the spike hyzer next to the basket. And when he missed that putt, I was, I was shocked. I was like, wow, he gave me another chance to get back in this. And um, yeah, I stepped, up, I stepped up to that 20 foot putt. And let me tell you, I am not known for making 20 foot putts. <laughs> I, uh, I made them all week, but I have missed many, many 20 foot putts in my life. And everyone that knows me was like scared. it was they everyone knew that this was this is a shot that i was like oh my goodness but i was able to just go through my routine think of it just like any other putt tap it in and force the playoff so um then in the playoff i had another little bit of shift in my mindset and that was um every time i played the island hold i had thrown the disc to the very back and laid up and taken my par And I think that that was a great way of playing the hole, you know, taking a par on it every round. But in the playoff, I knew that par wasn't going to do it. So um, I said to myself, your drives are what got you here. Your drives are the best part of your game. What you need to do right now is put this disc 20 feet from the basket. So I put a little extra pressure on my drive to get it closer to the pin. And that's why I missed the island. Um, If I were to do it again, um, I would do the same thing. I I would put the pressure on my drive throw it nice and close. And, um, just because that, you know, 35 foot putt is, is not something I want in that situation. And I have more confidence in making the drive than I do in making the putt. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, that makes total sense. I think it's so important to like know your game and know your strengths and weaknesses and to lean into the strengths. But we have a section sometimes on the podcast called AMS Helping AMS where AMS will call in and leave, leave us just a suggestion on something that's improving their game or working on their game. And if anybody wants to do that, you can shoot us a little audio file, video file, thegrind.dg at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. But Aaron, I'm going to give you a little AMS Helping Pros. You were like 100% C1X through three rounds uh, in the Worlds. I think you're a good C1X putter. I think you're a good putter. <laughs> I think you're a fantastic putter. And I think that that is, uh, I think that you can live in a world where you uh, expect to make your putts because uh, you you were freaking good at 20 footers during this tournament. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I, I put a lot of work in this past couple weeks um, and really got it dialed for for this event. And, it felt so good for that to pay off and to really feel confident on all of those putts. Yeah, it was fun so, to watch. Yep. And and it was like, I mean, obviously you had a few that were low or high in the last round and um, with the weight of the world on your shoulders, but every other putt was like dead center low chains, like no chance of doing anything but going in. Uh, and so it was, it was fun to watch for sure. All right, well, one more thing and then we'll get into a disc review. You threw base plastic zones a bunch. And I think a lot of people look down on base plastic. Tell me why you were throwing a soft zone off the tee on 990-foot, four-foot hole, uh, specifically base versus premium. Yeah, so I threw two different zones um, that were kind of that, like, uh, base plastic. I threw a soft zone, and I threw a jawbreaker zone. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'll go through both of those. The soft zone is really nice for me because it is very reliably stable. So um, all those shots, it, it does act like your regular zone, but when it lands, it like flops. It's, um, you almost never get any kind of skip from it and almost always stays exactly where it lands. And on a course like that, it is so valuable. I threw it on a bunch of up shots where I was like, I'm trying to land this around this spot and I need it to not go anywhere from there. Um, so I would recommend getting one of those soft zones. I know a lot of players that do it. And it's just it's so important when you have fast greens and you need the disc to stick. Um, the second disc I was throwing was the jawbreaker zone. And um, I would recommend one of those as well. And the beauty of that disc is it's a lot straighter than your average zone. It's still that kind of like base plastic, so it sticks pretty well. But I threw that disc on hole 10. And um, like I was saying, uh, what's so tough about that hole is it needs to push straight. So I'm still throwing a hyzer on it. But I get a little bit of flip up out of the disc without having to, you know, throw as hard as I can. And uh, the beauty of that is it pushes straight and stays right down that tunnel, um, makes the shot a lot easier on you. So um, those two both um, have kind of a different spot in my bag than your, your regular zone. And uh, when the situation calls for it, I would recommend throwing that base plastic. Yeah, that's cool. It's fun to watch because I think sometimes we think premium, we think automatically better, but it's just different. Sometimes it's mm -hmm. more or less helpful for whatever characteristic you're looking for. Anyway, that was a random yeah, segue, exactly. but I just it was just fun watching you throw it. So um, let's get into a nuke review if that's cool with you guys. So yeah, for sure. We've got the Discraft Nuke, which is a 13 speed, five glide, negative one turn, and three fade distance driver. And what we'll do is I'll have David kind of talk about his feels on it. I'll talk about mine. Aaron will get yours, which 
maybe more well informed. You've been thrown a little <laughs> longer than we have, and then uh, we'll give it we'll give it a rating. Uh, but David, what do you think about the? Oh, new? you want to start with my big arm first, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the real the real arm on the on the show right now. Uh, I was messing around with it both uh, forehand and backhand. Josiah and I were actually throwing it in the field at Salt Wash before coming in here. And uh, what's funny is I think I was throwing it better with my backhand than I was my forehand, um, which is uncharacteristic for my game. Um, but uh, extremely, extremely overstable for me on the forehand. I I mean, I think I've talked before um, with you. I throw race primarily with my forehand. Um, I'll get them to turn a little bit and then have that kind of predictable fade at the end. Um, I was really trying to get the nuke. Uh, this the Paige Pierce one was a little bit easier for me. It's a little bit less stable, um, but, and then we were also throwing the Z nuke. Um, the Paige Pierce one I could get to go a little bit straighter for longer when I was throwing a little bit on an ante uh, before it hyzered out. But man, that uh, Z nuke was just so stable for me to the point to where my forehand. I, I mean, I was probably was it three fifty it was finishing at, and it was just yeah. massive. And, you're, at the end. and you were putting like what would be like 350 to 375 on a wraith or yeah. more power on oh, it. Oh, yeah. What, what I would have flex. expected to get, yeah. I would have expected to get more if I was throwing a wraith, more distance. Um, so I feel like for my arm speed, uh, forehand definitely takes takes a bit off my distance because I'm not able to actually get it up to speed. Um, backhand, I was kind of like, I, I was getting it to go straight for longer. And uh, it definitely had that, predictable stability at the end but for some reason with the backhand i was getting it to go getting in enough speed to get some i guess it going straight for a bit before it massively hyzered but i was still getting about that 350 range um and i wasn't really putting it on an anhyzer at all just kind of pulling it straight through um i mean it seems like a fun disc i was telling josiah um if this it's funny thinking back to when we first started disc golf because if this was a disc that I had picked up at the beginning of disc golf, I would have had no clue why I was so terrible um, with not <laughs> being able to get a disc to do what I wanted to do because it's a disc that if it's something that you just picked up for the first time, I mean, really the only thing as an amateur that you could do almost is like a forehand, like massive flex shot to get some sort of S line going. I feel like it's the best with the beginner that they can do with the disc. Um, I could see how pros could probably mash on it um but for me personally my arm speed not quite doesn't really quite take it <laughs> yeah i i think this disc is like it's what i would it's exactly what i expected it to be which is it's fast enough that the arm speed requirement means that it only goes straight for so long for somebody like me that throws you know maybe like 375 backhand and a little less than that forehand and so um, I got some good distance on some anti-lines, but I think the other thing about like a disc this fast is that the nose angle, if you're trying to have those flex shots really matters because if you get it nose up, it's going to stall out really fast when that um, high speed stability kicks in. I think a fast disc, and I don't know if this is true, but I think it may be true. Um, the, the low speed stability kicks in faster with a fast disc, meaning at, as the disc slows down, a putter, that low speed stability, it has to be going really slowly for it to kick in. And, you know, and then a, a pretty straight flying but 13 speed distance driver, I think it kicks in a little earlier. So 
I could imagine that for a bigger arm, this would be a massive distance driver. For me, it's more of like a really interesting disc for utility shots because I can get a really straight shot for about 275 and then to 300 and then a massive hard hook and skip. And so for certain shapes, I think that would be like very interesting and helpful. Um, but I think, you know, we review discs on the podcast and obviously a lot of our listeners don't throw as far as we do and a lot throw further than us and that's just how it is. And I think a disc like this and one of the reasons I enjoy reviewing putters and mids a little bit more sometimes is it's just a very, uh, the, the, the arm speed threshold I feel like I'm just well short of. And I think if I was a three or four, 15, 425 foot thrower, I still think I would feel at, at least at elevation, like I was a little short of the speed requirement, but I, I'd be curious, Aaron, um, you know, your takes on the disc and also how they beat in. We had pretty much fresh ESP and Z nukes. Um, and so I'd be curious, you know, do you get a lot more turn? Uh, is it just arm speed or is it also just, you know, cause I think high speed drivers sometimes beat in a little faster cause that sharp nose. So Aaron, uh, with that, you want to take over here and, and tell us uh, how it's actually supposed to fly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've got, I got a bunch of things to say on that. Um, firstly, I think it is a great observation saying that you guys are throwing at elevation. Uh, down at sea level, I think you would enjoy this disc a lot more. Um, I find that when I come up to elevation, all of my discs feel like they're brand new. And it's so nice because I get to take my nukes and I get to throw them as hard as I possibly can. <laughs> and they're very reliable and they go so far. One thing I'll say about the nuke is uh, I think there's like three or four discs out there. The nuke, the Ballista Pro and the Boss, you know, maybe a couple other. They just go farther than other discs. And uh, the nuke is, is one of those for sure. If I'm ever in a distance competition, I'm picking five nukes. I mean, it, it is just a no brainer that goes so much farther than any other disc you throw, especially in the disc craft lineup. Um, the next thing I'd like to say is there are different varied stabil varying stabilities of them. I think the ESP Paige Pierce nukes are going to be the flippiest ones that I throw kind of out of the factory. Cool. Down at sea level, they're a perfect like forehand hyzer flip. They get right up to flats. For backhand, I have to throw a roller on them. I'd say your kind of stock ESP nukes are usually pretty reliable, st reliably stable. I can throw those forehand kind of right out of the factory. And then anymore, they've been coming out with some incredibly stable Z nukes that are so valuable, especially when you got some wind. You can throw them really hard. You're still getting 500 feet of distance into a headwind. So you're um, still they getting. can be very. You're useful. still getting 500 feet <laughs> of distance into a headwind. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised how stable this one was. I, yeah. The the ESP, I could get some pretty nice straight shots on it. This guy just, I think of an, I thought of a nuke as like maybe a slightly less stable, slightly faster, like destroyer, Zeus, whatever. That's just what I imagined it. Watching people throw it. Um, boss. I've never thrown a boss besides maybe like a blizzard boss, but that's kind of what I imagine. And this guy, the first time I threw it, it was like, nope, <laughs> I'm going to fade. I'm going to fade hard. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially anymore. I, I've picked up a lot of nukes from the factory that are just meat hooks and it, it's so nice. Now I will say, I think you guys um, have a point of you need a certain arm speed to kind of get into these discs. And like you said, I think that arm speed is right around maybe like 450. Mm -hmm. So um, looking at my game, I throw about 72 miles an hour forehand and backhand. 
And the difference between my two shots is I put a lot more spin on my forehand and I put a lot more snap on my backhand. And I think the Nuke is an amazing disc for my forehand. So kind of a spinny shot, 72 miles an hour, goes about 450. Um, I can get a very nice like hyzer flip to flats. Um, I can get a triple turn if I really crank on it. And some of the beefier things, um, I do have to flex with a, with a big S to get out of it. Um, that being said, going over to my backhand, it's not a great sh- disc for my backhand in most part because it gets a little bit squirrely with that high torque. Mm-hmm. I found that when I put that like hundred percent, you know, snap into it with my backhand, it does burn over, um, sometimes. And I think a force is a lot more reliable shot for me. So unless I need that like extra distance and there's very little like consequence for a bad shot, um, I'm going to be steering clear of the nuke for my backhands at that like elite level distance. But I think it is an amazing disc for my forehand. And I know a lot of friends that throw about that same distance that like, you know, four to 450, depending on, you know, how solidly they get the, the, the shot. And I think it is a great disc for that kind of kind of range. And at elevation, I think they're phenomenal. Right. That makes sense for your power. Then you then you really like them on the backhand for at elevation, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, anything else on the nuke for anybody on the podcast? Hmm. Um, that that's about it for me. Um, I think you should go try one. Everyone should try this disc. Um, I think a lot of times it'll just add fifty feet right to your distance, but you sacrifice a little bit of that. Like, do I know where it's going to go every single time? What was funny for me, Aaron, was I'm so used to throwing the wraith, and I threw I was throwing a bunch of these backhand, and then I pulled the wraith out at, for a backhanded shot. I was like, oh my gosh, the wraith now feels like a thunderbird in my hand because the I got so used yeah. to feeling the rim of the nuke. <laughs> That's a good point as well. Um, if you don't like those wide rim discs, the nuke is probably not for you. Um, it is beefy, yeah, and it, sure. it is tough to fit your hand your fingers around it if you're not used to it. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's a fun disc, and I could see it as like a utility disc for a lower-powered player, or just something that, like, we got a buddy who's got an Ezra Adderhole Tour Series nuke in his bag, and he just likes having it. It's like yeah. he throws it pretty well, but it's like, hey, sometimes disc golf's just about having fun, you know. And 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 nuke is, uh, if you want a thirteen-speed disc, uh, the nuke is a great choice. Uh, yeah, it's it's nothing if not fun for sure. Yeah, well, and apparently, you know, you can throw 450 foot hyzers all for five rounds at worlds with it so on forehand so <laughs> and backhand yeah. 500 back oh 500 <laughs> backhand <laughs> uh <laughs> let's get into a rating so our rating system is one to five we will summer scores to 10 and the way that'll work this week is david and i will count as half so uh, we'll each give it a rating. One is it's just not that great of a disc. Two is it's an okay disc, but there's better options out there. Three is it's a good disc, but it doesn't stand out. Four is it's a great disc, but it's not going to make my bag. And five is it's going in the bag. And so, David, we'll start with you. What's your rating? Uh, I'm going to go four. Um, I think uh, as we continue to hopefully improve our game, especially our distance game, uh, hopefully this is something that uh, we'll continue to uh, mess around with and hopefully pick up some distance with as we do approach some higher arm speeds. Um, I, I think it's a fantastic disc. I think uh, having the wider rim discs, it still felt good in the hand. Um, and so, yeah, could definitely see in the future as I continue to improve my game. And also, like you talking about it, Josiah, made me think, 
especially the Z nuke almost in my head feels like a longer version of my flat top firebird. Um, so it could in my head slot in a way into uh, my bag in ways that, um, could possibly work for my game right now. Um, but I feel like there's other discs for me personally that could do the job. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with a four. Cool. I'm going to give it a three and not because it's not a good disc, but just because it didn't stand out to me. And I think that may be more of a me problem than the disc. And that is that's when you have a certain arm speed, high speed drivers kind of all feel the same. And some at some level, they all go really straight for a while and then fade really hard, especially for those neutral to stable 13 speed and faster drivers. So uh, I'll give it a three. I, I was definitely going to go 3.5, but I didn't want to have to do the math. So we'll give it a three. <laughs> um, Aaron, what's your rating? Um, I'm going to make this tough for you, actually. Um, I'm going to go with a 4.5. Oh. And that is because it is a five for my forehand, 100% best forehand disc I have. But it is a four for my backhand. I am, it, is, it is not one that I am going to be throwing on 90% of my backhand shots. So though it does slot into my bag um, for very specific shots, um, unlike the Raptor where I throw it for everything, um, I'm only going to be throwing it for the lefty quite as much for the righty shots. Okay, so we got a 4.5 and we have a 3.5. So I think that's an 8, right? Sounds right. Cool. So we'll give it an 8 out of 10, which is uh, a great score for a great disc. Definitely worth checking out, especially if you just like fast discs or you've got the arm speed for it. And I think we're going to hopefully get a trip down to elevation this winter, play some courses in Austin. If we do, we might have to bring a nuke and see if uh, we can finally get it to get some turn. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and I uh, really appreciate 1010 Discs, who's been a consistent sponsor of our disc review. Um, if you want to get 5% off your order, you can use the coupon code thegrind5 at 1010discs.com. And we really appreciate you coming on the show. I know it's late your time. I got one more thing before we <laughs> sign off, which is what was your favorite hole to play of the uh, of Worlds? Not necessarily like the favorite moment, but just the favorite hole, the layout, et cetera. Interesting. That's a good question I haven't thought about. Um, I will probably have to go for a mix of both um, my favorite to play as well as my favorite for kind of the tournament and how it turned out and go with hole 18 at country club, three different ways to attack it. Um, I think that a player like Ricky was throwing kind of a short forehand hyzer to kind of land in this short landing zone, then throw a big backhand spike hyzer to the basket. Um, I didn't like that play as much because the, the first landing zone was a little tough. So um, I went for a big forehand off the tee to get to kind of your main landing zone. But while most people kind of went for that up the middle shot to the basket, I was throwing the forehand spike hyzer. So I felt like I played it a little differently than the other players. And I liked the fact that uh, kind of none of those shots were easy and you had to execute something there at the end. And of course, that's the shot that I executed in order to force the playoff. So it does have a place in my heart because of that. Yeah, and you did accidentally take the backhand second shot line in round two, or is that... Yeah, so I was actually trying to get the forehand up to that same landing zone I was talking about, but because I came up a little bit short, I was able to take my relief back to that perfect spot I was talking about where Ricky ended up, 
And because of that, I was able to throw the backhand spike hyzer and save my par, which was just a really nice, you know, series of events that led to an easy par save. Well, it looked it looked hard, so uh, I'm glad it was easy for you. <laughs> well, Aaron, we really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, working through some technical difficulties. Uh, the internet <laughs> is a beautiful and frustrating thing. Um, have a fantastic week off and um, go kill it at GMC, and we'll catch up with you maybe after the season. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so much, thanks, Aaron. guys. I really appreciate you hey. having on me, having me on here again. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah, anytime. And I, I heard a rumor that there may be a uh, Discraft uh, disc coming out with uh, something from World, so some people can support you that way. Is it a nuke? Are you allowed to tell us that? Um, I'm not exactly sure what it's going to be yet, but I have heard a similar rumor that there will be something coming out soon, kind of a, um, yeah, like a, like you said, just to commemorate the worlds, um, you know, what I accomplished there. So um, hopefully that'll come out soon and that'll be a good way to support me um, out here on tour with some disc sales. So don't know for sure what it's going to be, but stay posted for that. That's awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, Aaron. And, uh, For you and everybody else who's listened to the podcast this week, whether it's coffee or disc golf, don't forget to enjoy the grind.